You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week four of the study Identity Theft, entitled Saint, Redeemed by the Son. All right, this chapter is one of my absolute favorites in the entire book. As I've been preparing for this morning, I have been praying over each and every one of you, and that whether you have known Jesus for 50 years or you just met him, that you would fall more in love with him and that your heart would be renewed and transformed as you were reminded or just introduced to the grace and the mercy. Didn't even make it through my first sentence. (laughs) The goodness of God that we call the gospel. The gospel means good news and what good news it is to know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we begin, I want to start just by praying and inviting Jesus into this room. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, what a gift you are that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I thank you that you sent your son to redeem your broken people back to you. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would soften our hearts, that you would open us to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray that you would fill this space, that you would be ever-present, Lord, and that we would feel you in a mighty way. Lord, if anyone isn't sure about you, I pray that you would bring clarity, and I pray that you would just give me your words, that everything out of my mouth would be directly from you and not of my own. I praise you, and I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This one got me deep this week. (laughs) So this week's chapter was called Saint, Redeemed by the Son. And Melissa Kruger started this chapter off with a scenario where she's looking into the mirror, and all she sees are her imperfections. She lists all of her shortcomings and sins, and she's reminded of how often she tries to stop sinning but fails. She sums up, this thought by saying, when I see myself as a sinner, I can stop trying too hard and expect everyone else to accept me just as I am. And I'm going to guess that most of us have had a similar conversation with the mirror before. Because it's easy for us to see our failures while we're living in such a sinful world. But we can't be that, we can't let that be an excuse for us to settle for sin. The lyrics I had you look at this morning remind us that Jesus' blood speaks a better word. And we need to listen to what his words are not what the world says. The New Testament authors refer to believers as saints, yet why is it so hard for us to see ourselves as that? So we're just gonna dive right in to the theft, the truth, and the transformation from this chapter so we can begin to identify ourselves as saints. Beginning with theft, the lie that Satan wants us to believe is that all we are are sinners and that our sin can define us. This is an easy trap to fall into because we live in a sinful world and we are indeed sinful people. Melissa uh, Kruger made the point in the book that the most clever lies wrap falsehood with honesty. So Satan uses the truth that yes, we are in fact sinful people, but he wraps it with lies and false accusations. And it makes it easier for us to believe that we can identify ourselves or that we should identify ourselves by our sin. I can so relate to Paul in Romans 7, where he tells us about the tug of war going on within him, where he wants to do good, 
but he continues to sin. A few short verses later, Paul gives us a beautiful, real hope. In Romans 7, um, verse 24, Paul says, What a wretched man, I, wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is in anguish over his sinfulness. He is fully aware of his sinful state, and it burdens him. Yet can you hear the joy by the end of his sentence? He's joyful because he has been rescued, delivered, redeemed by the Savior, by Jesus Christ. Our life group just started to study Matthew this past week, and Matthew wrote this, his account for Jewish people, a Jewish audience, and he wrote it to prove to them that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. He does this by referencing the Old Testament and tying it into the life that Jesus lived. He references the Old Testament approximately 53 times in his 28 chapters. And 53 times in 28 chapters sounds like a lot. But 53 references are only a handful of the ways that the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament has prophets who are men who heard directly from God about this coming Messiah, and they share the good news with the people. So we have that. But absolutely every story in the Old Testament the big ones and the small ones, are tiny salvation stories that show us not only our need for a savior, but the immeasurable faithfulness of our heavenly father. God had a redemption plan in place from even before sin entered the world. And how incredible is it, ladies, that we are on this side of that story. Our savior has come. Jesus Christ has paid our debt in full, and all he asks of us is to accept him. On page 48 in the book, Melissa ends the theft chapter by saying, Satan shows us our sin so we might despair. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God shows us our sin to lead us to Jesus. He wants to give us life and life to the full. We may struggle with sin, but it is no longer our identity if we are in Christ. And then truth. Sin is no longer our defining quality. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that comes from Jesus Christ. We are all sinners, but Jesus redeems us by his grace, grace and calls us children of God, saints. According to gotquestions.com, the word saint comes from the Greek word hagias, which means three things, holy, sacred, or consecrated to God. And I love that this has three different meanings because holy means to be set apart. So picture God, the creator of the universe, looking down at all of the broken people in our sinful world and picking you and setting you apart from the world. And sacred means to be in connection with God. So he doesn't only say she's different from this broken world, but he desires to connect with you. He wants to commune with you and be in relationship with you. And consecrated. When something's consecrated, it means it's been set apart for the service of God. So now you're set apart, you're in a relationship with God, and he gives you a purpose. You get to serve him, and it's for your good and his glory. 
And that is what it means to be a saint. We often hear the word saint and think of well-known Christ-like people who did wonderful things on the earth and have since mostly passed away. But that's not what the New Testament tells us saints are. Numerous New Testament authors refer to the members of the church, the believers in Christ, who have believed and repented, saints. <coughs> the moment that we come to faith, God sets us apart. The Bible says he clothes us in righteousness and prepares good works for us to do. But how is it possible that a perfect God can treasure a sinful man? Jesus, the spotless lamb, lived a perfect life on earth and became the atoning sacrifice for all of us. On the cross, Jesus bore the weight of all of our sins, past, present, and future. He took on all of the wrath of God that we deserve. Melissa Kruger used the analogy of the cross working like a sponge, soaking up all of the punishment that was meant for us. Jesus took our punishment and he left our slates wiped clean. I can't help but think of the hymn that says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He took our punishment and we are now justified. We are made right before God. Scripture says that we are robed in his righteousness. Not only does Christ pay for our sins, but through him we are made righteous before God. The king himself removes our stained, sinful clothes and replaces it with his royal robe, the robe of righteousness which allows God, our heavenly father, to see us as spotless and beautiful. It is by the work of Jesus Christ alone that we are made saints, set apart, righteous saints. Ephesians 6, 2 verse 6 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, it's a gift. And we should praise Jesus for that gift. How much are we wasting that precious gift when we allow Satan to slither in and tell us that all we are are our sins? In our book, there was a quote from Thomas Brooks. It says, God beholds his people in the face of his son and sees nothing amiss in them. He sees the sinner without spot or wrinkle. Christ makes us comely through his beauty. The Father honors us, delights in us, is well pleased with us, extends his love and favor to us, esteems us, and gives us free access to himself in Christ. We are covered and hid under the precious robe of Christ's righteousness. In the face of Jesus, he sees nothing wrong with us. We aren't sinful, we're spotless. Through Christ's beauty, we are made beautiful. He honors and delights in us. And the most mind-blowing thing, he's well pleased with us. He extends love and favor, esteem, and gives us free access to himself in Christ. And my favorite part is the end. We are covered and we are hidden by his righteousness. Ladies, this is the inconceivable truth of our identity, that through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we are saints. Lastly, 
we have transformation. The word transformation in this chapter is quite literal because we have been transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. You've been redeemed, we've been made new, but until Jesus returns and redeems all of creation, we are not experiencing full righteousness. We're still living in the sinful world, but one day this world will also be made new. While we await the day of Jesus' return, we must live as saints right here and right now. Just like Elizabeth Elliot says, we are meant to be saints, not only when we get to heaven, but right here in this world. I love how Melissa Kruger, what Melissa Kruger says about living as a saint on this earth. I actually love this quote so much. I like highlighted it, I circled it, I starred it, all the things. She says, living as a saint who struggles with sin is profoundly different from living as a sinner who is desperately trying to be a saint. The author presents four ways in which our sainthood or our redemption should affect our daily lives. The first is that we become uncomfortable with sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we feel conviction about our sin. And he gives us the power to fight it. The spirit within us awakens to a battle with sin, not so that we can sulk in our sinfulness, but so that we are aware of it and we can fight it. Second, we can live in hope. We do not have to rely on ourselves anymore. We now have the Holy Spirit, and it's through his power that we can do good works. And when we do fail, because we are still in a sinful world and living in sinful bodies, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because our slates were already wiped clean. And Jesus sympathizes with us. He knows what it's like to feel the temptations of this world, and we can run to him with our failures. Third is that we can live graciously. When we recognize the grace and mercy that was extended to us, it softens our heart to extend grace and mercy to others. We are filled with the spirit and the love that we were shown pours out of us and onto those around us, which allows allows us to point others to the ultimate grace giver, Jesus. The fourth and final is that we can live with profound joy. We have been rescued from death. We are called children of God. We are saints. We can recognize that the trials of this world are temporary because we are secure in Christ. Psalm 28 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. So as cliche as this might sound, I want to close by asking you to stand and join me in joyfully worshiping and praising our Father through song and proclaiming what Jesus' blood has done. I do also want to say, If you're not sure about your salvation, or you're not sure about Jesus, that you can take this time to ask him to reveal himself to you. And if you need to, ask one of us to help you. Sorry, might be a minute.
Ladies, we're going to end there for our questions. So as I've been sitting in this chapter for the past few weeks and meditating on what Jesus has done on our behalf, I was consistently reminded of the beauty of communion, where believers come together to remember what Jesus did on the cross and to proclaim his name. At some point in my studying, I read that the word saint is used 68 times in the New Testament, and 67 of them is used as the plural saints, used to address the group or a church. This past weekend, I visited a church um, up in the mountains where we have a cabin, and right before we took took communion, the pastor said something that really stuck out to me. So after we prepared our hearts before the Lord, He told us to look around at every person in the room, holding the cup and holding the bread. We were all there because of Jesus. And he said that every time we take communion, we can view it as a tiny foreshadowing of what eternity will be like. When we're gathered with all of the saints, 
past and future, and we're in communion together with the King himself. So this morning, I invite you to, take, to partake in communion with me as a room full of saints, acknowledging together the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take a, a second and go before the Lord to prepare your heart for communion. But first, I want to acknowledge two things. One is that sometimes our hearts are heavy, and we need to spend time with Jesus instead of taking communion. And I think that's okay. And secondly, I realize this is not the typical environment in which most of us take communion. So please know, in case you're not sure, the elders of LAFC are aware that we are here doing this, and they fully give their blessing. <laughs> Just remember that the purpose of communion is to remember Christ and his sacrifice. So whether you attend LAFC or another church, or maybe you don't go to church at all, if you declare Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then I invite you to join us. Just so you know, too, before I forget, the bread is gluten-free, so everyone can, it's all-inclusive. Or You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and take a few minutes and prepare our hearts. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We come together as saints, a room of saints. And we can only call ourselves that because of what you've done on our behalf. Jesus, I praise you and I thank you for what you've done on our, for us. And I pray that each woman in this room would be renewed by the truth of your salvation. We lift you up this morning and I pray that our weeks would be changed, our days ahead, that we would be able to walk confidently in our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. I have one last song that I want to pray or play. And you can just listen to it. You can worship however you feel fit. Um, but it's a song that's been speaking to my heart for the past few weeks, and I pray that it blesses you as well.
Amen. <laughs> that is all we have for this morning. We are dismissed. And I apologize. I should have had you pass the communion out before I ever started talking. <laughs> Sorry if that was awkward. Um, yeah, but you can put your trash on the plate, and I'll just collect it at the end. Have a good week.